The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Friday, July 8th, PFTOT. Just 17 days away from the return of PFT Live. Peacock. Sirius XM 85, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, can't forget Sky Sports. I am hearing constantly from our friends in the UK and Ireland who cannot wait for us to come back. And I get asked the question over and over again, which makes me wonder, have I not been clear July 25? Do you use the same calendar there, folks, that we use here July 25? Do the days change? Do the months change? July 25. That's when we'll be back, assuming Sky hasn't forgotten about us. Assuming Sky actually plays the show. That's the one thing that I don't miss. I miss doing the show. I miss seeing Chris. I miss that two hours in the morning. It's completely screwed up my routine not to have to be up at 7 a.m. I don't miss the daily updates on what Sky has done with PFT Live. Hey, they moved it to 10 o'clock tonight. I didn't know, and I really didn't care. Hey, they didn't play your show tonight. I can't do anything about it. I'm sorry but I can't really deal with it. Although we do have a line of communication there. So now when the complaints come in, I just send them to that guy and he gets to deal with all the stuff that we've been dealing with, but we do appreciate and enjoy our audience zealous and loyal and very interested in NFL audience in the UK. Let's get to it. A lot of people very zealous and interested in the Deshaun Watson case. Big picture. Nothing's really been going on because Monday, July 11 is the day on which the two sides will submit their documents to Judge Sue L. Robinson so that she can then make a decision on whether and to what extent Sean Watson should be disciplined. Now, maybe there'll be some settlement talks after the paperwork is submitted. As someone said to me yesterday, you can't expect settlement to happen while the lawyers are billing their hours on the, the briefs that are being submitted on Monday. And that's a good point. After the dust settles, after the meter is off, when it comes to putting together 20 or 30 pages, sometimes there's a page limit that's applied. Even if there isn't a page limit, you don't want to send in a 90-page brief. You want it to be something the judge can digest fairly quickly and easily. But once that happens, in theory, the two sides could try to work something out. I continue to believe that the league can't work anything out with Deshaun Watson until Judge Robinson issues a decision. They need someone else to say... There isn't nearly as much here, NFL, as you thought. And that takes me to the first interesting point of the day. Josina Anderson of CBS reported yesterday that as to one of the 12, remember the NFL of the 24 lawsuits and at least two other claimants that were out there, the NFL talked to 12 people. And then the NFL whittled 12 down to five for the purposes of last week's hearing. Josina Anderson reported that as to one of the 12 that didn't become one of the five, there was an interview of the woman's adult son, and the son said that the woman was very complimentary of Deshaun Watson until allegations started to surface, and then it pivoted, and the impression that was created by the reporting from Josina Anderson was, basically, this is a money grab. It wasn't reported that way, but that's the inescapable conclusion that you come to when you look at what she reported. This is the one case that you can point to and say, aha, this isn't about justice. This isn't about truth. This isn't about right or wrong. It's about dollars and cents. The woman in question was fine until she found out there was a gravy train to potentially climb aboard. Now, got an email in the middle of the night from Tony Busby. And I always need to be careful about identifying unnamed sources and people who talk off the record. And I will just say this. I had no communication at all with Tony Busby other than this email that came to me out of the blue overnight. 
we may have communicated at some point along so far long ago and on something that was so trivial that I don't even remember it. Very limited. I don't want to completely make a blanket statement. There's never been anything, but there's nothing that that I remember, nothing that I look to and say, boy, that was a big deal. That was a big piece of this broader puzzle that's played out over the last 15 months. But in response to what we wrote last night regarding the Josina Anderson report, Busby, and you can find the post at PFT if you want to see the full details and see the exact quote, Busby basically said this isn't one of my clients. I don't represent anybody who had an adult son that was interviewed by the NFL. And when you read between the lines, you don't have to look very far. You get the impression that Busby actually vetted this person's claim and turned it down. And he's claimed all along he's vetted these cases before filing suit. So as to this specific person, I get the impression, very clear impression from reading the quote that he sent to us that we published earlier today, that he did look into it and he decided not to offer representation to this person. Maybe in the process of looking into her claim, he realized that something didn't add up, or he just got a sense from talking to her. And people who practice law for an extended period of time develop a very keen sense of who is and isn't full of crap. Now, sometimes you get bamboozled. Sometimes there are very good liars, very good liars, very convincing liars. Sometimes there are people who can't convince you when you're telling or when they're telling you the truth. But after you do it 20, 25, 30 years, and you deal with a lot of different people, you, you begin to develop a sense of who is and who isn't straight with you. And, and I don't know why he decided not to represent this person, but according to Busby, he doesn't represent anyone who has an adult son who was interviewed by the NFL. And he knows that of the 12 cases that the NFL focused on before cutting it to five, you know, there's 24 at least, 26 if you throw in at least two who made criminal complaints that didn't sue. The NFL cut it to 12, don't, don't know why, they focused on the 12 when there's 26. Don't know why they went to five from the 12. But one of the 12 was this person that Josina Anderson reported about on Thursday. And Busby said, I represent 10 of the 12 that the NFL focused on. So there's two that, that weren't represented by Tony Busby. And apparently this one case that the NFL threw overboard as it was trimming the fat down to five this one case has a potentially fatal flaw if we are characterizing properly what was reported by Josina Anderson. So that's important because I think some people were looking at that report as evidence of that first domino. You know, you just hit the first domino and they all start falling and the cases fall apart. And we finally have our evidence of a grand conspiracy that was held together by Tony Busby. All of these claims are meritless to the point of frivolous, but Tony Busby, the Pied Piper of Houston, holds them together for 15 months and manages to not have anyone break ranks, to not everyone send a text message. When are we going to get our money? Hey, we, I thought we were settling this case in October when they were going to trade him with the Dolphins. I want my money, $100,000. I want my $100,000. What the hell's going on? I mean, you would assume that a diligent effort to represent the total interest of Deshaun Watson would come across evidence like that if it existed. And, and again, for the people who aren't accustomed to how things work in the legal system, they tend to create the footprints, digitally or otherwise, that a good lawyer can then work backward and find. So I look at this and I say, damn, if this is all they got, because I got the distinct impression last week that the Deshaun Watson media assault would begin this week. And I've said all along, Rusty Harden, the lawyer who represents Deshaun Watson, if you've got a silver bullet, let's see it. Show it to us. Help us understand how you can make that Jenga tower of 24 plus claims collapse onto itself. Show us. If you've got evidence that this is all something that was orchestrated simply by the lawyer, remember? Harden's associate or partner, I assume it's partner, Leah Graham, if I'm re recalling the name correctly, it's been a while and a lot's gone on. The comments made to Soledad O'Brien of Real Sports, how do you say we should believe Deshaun Watson over the 24 people who have sued him? And the explanation was, and I'm paraphrasing here, basically it's the lawyer. 
it's the it's always the lawyer. The lawyers are always the evil ones. They're the ones who are orchestrating everything, and they're the ones who are trying to to make malice and injustice. So he can get on TV and expand his social media following. Look, baloney is what I said to that at the time, and I say baloney to that now. But my point is, Thursday's report from Josina Anderson was giving to people who would like to say, hey, look, this really is Tony Busby holding together a house of cards, and now the house of cards is collapsing. If he didn't represent the person, kind of hard to make the argument, folks, that that's what's going on. And I wonder whether now look again the nfl didn't pick that case as one of the 12 that became one of the five it sounds like they vetted that claim the same way tony busby did and busby decided not to represent the individual and the nfl decided not to make that person's claims one of the five that were submitted to judge robinson for consideration so that's where that stands and and again i'll, I'll go back to my default position on this and i'll say publicly here, to Rusty Hart, to David Mulugeta, to anyone representing the interests of Deshaun Watson, anyone from the Cleveland Browns that would like to get his side of it out there. If you have something that shows that these are all bogus claims, if you have something that proves that these claims will fail in civil court, give it to us. There's no court order protecting any of the testimony that has been given in depositions. I'm not going to read all the transcripts trying to find your silver bullet for you. No one has time to sift through the haystacks in search of a needle that may or may not be there. You know if the needle's there. Show it to us. Show it to us. Somebody will report it. I mean, look, Jocena Anderson reported the thing about the person who isn't represented by Tony Busby. Surely, if there is some smoking gun out there that shows that one of the individuals represented by Busby is full of crap, that would be significant. Now, 20 of the cases have been settled, presumably for more than the $100,000 that Deshaun Watson was willing to pay in October because circumstances changed in a negative way for Deshaun Watson since then. There's four left who have sued. Let's see what happens. If you have something, let's see it. I've been saying that for weeks now. If you've got something that blows these civil cases out of the water, Let's see it. Busby also added this in the email that he sent to me overnight. And this relates to the reporting that we and others have done as to the absence of evidence of violence, threats of violence, coercion, et cetera, the kind of thing that would become the more traditional assault and would trigger a six-game baseline suspension under the personal conduct policy. This is the quote from Busby. It was recently reported that none of the five cases presented by the NFL involved violence, coercion, or force. I'm not sure how that's a surprise. Only two of the civil cases we filed alleged that type of conduct. The women who made those allegations have settled with Watson. Neither spoke to the NFL. The majority of the civil cases we filed instead alleged indecent exposure and assault, that is, touching without consent. We aren't at this time privy to what was presented to the NFL, but we expect we will know soon enough. In any event, as I've said several times, what the NFL does or fails to do has no bearing on those civil cases that remain against Watson or the additional cases we are preparing to file against the Texans. So that speaks to the fact that we've got two different standards here. We've really had three. The criminal stuff's over unless and until someone else files a criminal complaint beyond the ones that didn't result in an indictment. And we all know proof beyond a reasonable doubt, highest standard out there. That's not relevant for now. We've got two other standards. We've got the civil standard of assault, and it doesn't take much to create a technical assault under the law. One of the first things we learned in law school in torts class, intentional torts, assault, battery, invasion of privacy, trespass things that are deliberately done to someone, things that involve a desire to punch, hit, whatever. It doesn't take much to create liability. The question is, what are the damages? And it's entirely possible that these individuals will prove that there was technically an assault. And then the question becomes, what's the compensation? 
for the assault. That's different from the NFL standard. The NFL standard is, did he violate the personal conduct policy? And the way that assault is used in the personal conduct policy, it suggests a higher level of misconduct. Now, that's where this is going to be challenging. What will Judge Robinson find as it relates to the actual facts of the case? And she's the one who's in a position to determine who's credible and who isn't. We don't know who all testified before her, but I'm assuming at some point Deshaun Watson told his story. Does she believe he's telling the truth? Does she see holes in his story? Does she see holes in the claims that were being made against him? But at some point, she has to find what happened. That's what's going to be so critical in her written opinion. And hopefully we'll see. And I assume we'll see it because it doesn't, it doesn't involve an owner. We always see it when it involves a player. I'm assuming we'll see it and we'll be able to see the factual findings that she makes. What does she believe happened? So you know, from Busby's perspective, and this is along the lines of, and I don't want to be too graphic with this, but we, we've all seen the allegations. You know, he made his penis touch someone's hand, right? There was never any allegation of, of like grabbing someone and forcing them to do something, holding them down and, and assaulting them that way. It's a more subtle assault. Does that rise to the level of a violation of the personal conduct policy? That's all to be determined. So... I guess what Busby's saying is, hey, we never said that there was the kind of violent exchange, that it's more about the circumstances. It was more of a subtle effort by a guy who was getting a massage, and there's a certain amount of consent that is involved by the person providing the massage. You're going to have certain touching that happens. There's going to be some inadvertent touching. It's an intimate act in and of itself. The argument is, at some point, Deshaun Watson crossed the line. And that, depending upon the evidence that was introduced on behalf of the five claimants, the five the NFL selected, is there a habit that Deshaun Watson was engaging in where he was setting up these private massages and trying, in every case, trying to make them into a sexual encounter? That's why his credibility is so important. And what he said at this hearing is so important. Did he say, I never, no, no, I, I, I never, ever, ever went into these things trying to make them into sexual encounters. I mean, if you draw that line in the sand and the evidence otherwise suggests that, you know, you kind of did and common sense kind of suggests based on everything we've seen and heard, it's kind of, it's going to be hard for him to say he, he wasn't doing this as a manifestation of some sort of habit or fetish. 66, at least, as reported by the New York Times, individuals that he retained to give him massages via social media. It's going to be very difficult to buy the idea that he wasn't getting these massages, hopeful that they would become sexual encounters and maybe trying to make them into sexual encounters. And look, Rusty Harden essentially admitted that. What's it been now? Four weeks ago when he was on radio in Houston and he said, hey, there's nothing criminal about having a happy ending. There's nothing criminal about making someone uncomfortable, kind of conceding that's what Deshaun Watson was doing. So if he goes to this hearing and Deshaun Watson says, I did no such thing, that makes his overall testimony less believable. And that could cause the judge to say, I'm going to reject everything this guy says. He's always going to say something self-serving, the obvious self-serving thing. And for him, it's all new. He thinks all he has to do is recite talking points and it'll work. From the perspective of the person who's handling the case, who's been a federal judge for 25 years, who's practiced law for decades, she's seen every kind of liar that's out there at some point. That's the great disconnect. And that's the awakening, the rude awakening that plenty of people have once they get their first taste of the legal system. They think they just show up and say whatever and it'll work. Not that easy. You've got tells. You know, we talk about that on PFT Live all the time. Or even really, really, you know, your demeanor while you're speaking. People who are younger, people who don't have experience, in the legal system, people who don't have experience communicating for a living, they aren't quite as adept at hiding the signs and the indications, and they aren't quite as skilled at answering questions in a way that is believable, that, that sells the idea top to bottom, all the way through, without something that would cause a very skilled listener, someone who has been lied to every which way, 
that's possible to say, yeah, I'm not so sure about this. And that's, that's why Judge Robinson, her opinion is going to be so important. And we'll see what it is. I, I still think the week of July 25 is when we're going to find out. And in the interim, look, the civil cases keep going. It sounds like there's going to be more filed against the Texans. That doesn't go away. There's four left. They can still be settled, but there's four left. The NFL situation is a separate analysis altogether. And it eventually, well, as of Monday, will be in the hands of Judge Robinson. I can't imagine her making a decision within a week. That would seem too quick. I think two weeks is the amount of time that she takes to write up, hopefully, a detailed and understandable ruling that will allow every, everyone to see what she saw and to understand why she does whatever it is she chooses to do. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. All right, a couple other things to get to before we answer some of your questions today. The Raiders making changes. Congratulations. The Raiders have hired a new president, groundbreaking, the first black female president of an NFL team. And this is a team that was the first to have a female president, Amy Trask, and hired minority coaches at a time when no one was doing so. Kudos to Al Davis, kudos to Mark Davis. That's great. But Mark Davis addressed in comments to the Las Vegas Review Journal, the recent issues, hostile workplace allegations, a former HR employee named Nicole Adams on the record with her characterization of the things that have happened in the organization, a stream of firings at the top of the organization. And look, I think it's great that Mark Davis has acknowledged the issue and is trying to fix it. Let's see where it goes from here. And, and there are still unanswered questions about what happened. I feel like this is already setting up to be another Washington commander situation where eventually the message from Mark Davis is, why do you keep asking me questions about the stuff that happened? Why don't you give me credit for the stuff I'm doing now? I mean, that's the audacity that we've seen in recent days from Daniel Snyder. Quit talking about the stuff that happened. Talk about the stuff we're doing now. Well, but until we know exactly what happened and until we have a sense that there was a fair and appropriate outcome, I think we should keep asking questions. And one of the questions I have about the Raiders, did the NFL really investigate this? What did they do? Mark Davis told the Las Vegas Review Journal that they investigated, the team investigated. Well, the commissioner said back in February, teams can't be trusted to investigate themselves. So what happened here? What really happened? What did the league do? Why is it all a big secret? Again, it's a secret. It's a big secret when an owner's involved. When a player's involved, it's not a secret. I'm just in favor of transparency. And if transparency is good enough for the players, it should be good enough for the owners. But they keep it all hidden. And I have a theory on that. This ties the two topics we've discussed so far together. And, and this is going to be part of the reality under this new system of dispensing discipline to players under the personal conduct policy as we go forward. In every case where they try to discipline players, 
the union is going to say, hey, your policy says owners are held to a higher standard. And here's a list of owners who haven't really been held to a high standard. And it's beyond the three that have been the focal point of the reporting. And we were the first ones to report it and others have confirmed it. Daniel Snyder, Robert Kraft, Jerry Jones. Those are the three that were the focal point by the union. But there are others out there. There's a whole section in Playmakers. I didn't intend to make a gratuitous pitch for my book about the last 20 years in the NFL, but there's a whole section about owners and how they've been disciplined and is it really fair? Does it really mesh with the discipline that's imposed on players? In every one of these cases, moving forward, where they try to discipline a player and it goes to the disciplinary officer, part of the argument is going to be, even if you think this guy did something, his punishment must be proportional to what they have done to other owners. They've set the precedent with the owners, the people who are held to a higher standard. So they're held to a higher standard. Whatever's done to them, less needs to be done to the player. They're not going to be able to get away from that. And you know what? If they don't like it, they can fire Judge Robinson. They have the right to do it after she serves a first two-year term, and it's been more than two years since they set up this process. Either the league or the union can discharge the disciplinary officer on 120 days notice. So they hire somebody else. They're going to still make that argument to somebody else. So the NFL is in a, in a, in a little bit of a pickle here because it's protected the people who hire and pay the commissioner 65 million a year or so. They've gone too easy on the owners over the past decade. Now the NFLPA is going to hold the, the league to that when it comes to trying to, to go overboard when it comes to players who may have violated the personal conduct policy. One of the owners we mentioned, Daniel Snyder, big news yesterday, his lawyer sent a letter to the U.S. House Oversight Committee saying that Snyder is willing to testify. He will testify via video. He's got an extended stay in Israel. His lawyer will fly there to sit next to him to protect him during this questioning. And they want to do it in July. Well, then there was other reporting. The letter says they also want to address some due process concerns that Snyder has. I don't know what due process. They want you to testify. You know, one of the realities of testifying is you don't get to know ahead of time what the questions are so you can come up with your story. We don't tell you everything we're going to ask you and show you. Give me every document you're going to use. Yeah, so I can come up with a story. And I'm not suggesting he's going to lie. But I, I just think at a certain point, the answer needs to be just testify. If you're going to tell the truth, you shouldn't be worried about what the questions will be. You shouldn't be worried about what documents you will see. Just be committed to telling the truth in response to the questions. See, I still think, and I'll believe this until he's sworn in and answers the first question asked, assuming that his answers are anything other than invoking the Fifth Amendment or not answering the questions. I, I, I just assume that Snyder and his lawyer are trying to run out the clock until the end of the year because everyone believes that the Republicans are gonna retake control of the House of Representatives. If that happens in early November, by the end of the year, when the Republicans take over, the plug gets pulled on this entire investigation. I think they're trying to run out the clock. I don't buy this due process crap. I'm sorry. If you got nothing to hide, testify. If you have a story to tell that is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, testify. It is shameful to me that Snyder is trying to slip through the fingers of the committee and the league doesn't care. And I've said this before, the league's afraid of it. They are, I'm sorry, NFL, league office, 345 Park Avenue, you may not like to hear it, you're afraid of him. You're afraid of Daniel Snyder. You don't wanna fight him because you know he'll fight you tooth and nail. And you don't wanna piss him off to the point where he decides to start talking to some people about the things he possibly has witnessed, the things he may be aware of based upon the 23 years that he's owned the team. And I don't know what it would be, but why else would they be tiptoeing on eggshells around a guy who, based upon everything that's been reported, proven, et cetera, over the years, why would they tiptoe around this guy if they weren't afraid of what he may do if they sufficiently piss him off? Fans have been pissed off for a long time about Sunday tickets. It was revolutionary back in 1994. I remember exactly where I was. My wife and I had gotten married a couple of months earlier. We were out looking for some furniture because, I mean, we're in our 20s. We didn't have furniture. 
had a house we rented. We were looking for a house, starting out, not a whole lot of money, trying to make do with what we have, walking around a furniture store. And I saw a cardboard display, Sunday ticket, and it had the explanation. And I, 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 I was amazed. I was like Moses looking at the burning bush. I couldn't believe it. You can actually, through a satellite dish, watch any game you want, any game. I mean, if you are a fan of a team that doesn't play in your local market, and, and I live in an area where it's the Steeler games, it's Washington on the, the NFC package, Steeler games on the AFC package, and, and there's no surprise to it. I, I got into this business in part because I've been a fan of the Vikings my whole life. Now, I hate all teams equally. That's my official position after 20 years of doing this. But I remember being in line at the supermarket and picking up the TV guide, not buying it, mind you, but looking at the next Sunday to see what games were going to be on the local TV stations. And I would get excited if it was going to be a Viking game on a Sunday. Hey, I get to watch it. So I see these, these uh, paragraphs and sentences explaining that if you have this product, you can watch all the out-of-market games. I, I couldn't believe it. And it, it took me three years to get to the point where I was actually able to afford it and get it. And it was awesome. It was awesome. But that was 1994. It's now 2022. The world has changed. And the NFL has continued to cling to a satellite-based service. Well, that ends. That ends next year. We'd already known it, but there's a, a finality to it when the commissioner who was on CNBC on Friday says, Sunday Ticket is moving to a streaming service next year. Decision to be made later this year. Apple, Amazon, and Disney, the three who have made offers, are waiting to hear from the league. And, and people are excited. Rightfully so. The whole world is streaming now. It's so much easier, assuming you have high-speed internet. And I hope that what happens, and, and we reported this at one point in the past year or so, the NFL is going to sell the total Sunday ticket rights to one of the streamers. They then will have the ability to sell satellite rights for specific customers, people in areas where there isn't high-speed internet. Bars and restaurants are a big question here. And I still don't understand why they just don't say to the bars and restaurants, put the equipment in. Don't you already have high-speed internet to placate your, your customers? People demand to have high-speed hotspots everywhere they go nowadays. Surely you can put the technology in place to pump the digital signal to your various TVs so you can put all the games on. And, and anybody that has, and we've been, we've been fortunate. We've got state-of-the-art, high-speed internet here in West Virginia. People think like, we, like it's dueling banjos and we live out in the middle of nowhere. We don't. I don't want anybody to come here and find out, but just take my word for it. We want fewer people, not more people here. At least I do. I know, I know that they want a bigger tax base and all that stuff. I'm fine with the number of people we have. Anyway, we've got great high-speed internet. And I see what it's like. You turn on it. It's great. It's great. 4K, whatever, HD, looks great, looks fabulous, works perfectly. I switched from DirecTV to YouTube TV a couple of years ago. Best move I ever made when it comes to spending household dollars from what DirecTV costs to what YouTube TV costs. Unbelievable, night and day. So the NFL is finally moving in that direction. And the one thing to remember, and this is important, because of the deals the NFL has cut with CBS and Fox, Whoever gets this thing can't charge dramatically less than the $300 per year that DirecTV charges because CBS and Fox want people to still watch their games, even if they're not the games that people really would like to watch. And the NFL did those deals knowing that they're, they're making it harder for the people who, for example, live in Jacksonville but are Steelers fans to see the Steelers games. They're going to have to pay the $300 a year for DirecTV. The NFL could have reconfigured things in a way that, that makes it easier to get DirecTV and cheaper to get, not DirecTV, Sunday ticket, cheaper to get Sunday ticket, easier to get Sunday ticket, but 
it's still going to be 300 bucks or so a year. And people, people are just happy that it's not going to be satellite anymore. People crave the idea of being able to stream wherever they go on their phones, on their tablets, on their smart TVs, on their laptops. So that's coming later this year. And it's great. It's great news for the NFL. It's about time for all the ways that the NFL tries to stay state of the art. The fact that they had been languishing for so long with a satellite based Sunday ticket service, when there are so many people out there who want to be able to watch those out of market games, it's, it's stunning. It took them as long as it did, but you know, you put the contracts in place for a long term. The world changes. You have to honor the contracts. And the, the contract was kicking out a lot of money to the NFL for Sunday ticket. I just wonder what happens to DirecTV once it's uh, all said and done. It could be that DirecTV ends up uh, circling the drain. All right. The program is in the process of circling the drain. Let's answer some questions. See what we got here. What do we got? PFTPM Posse. As of... Today, I'm officially one year away from the big 4-0. What should I do during my last year in my 30s? In your opinion, what are the biggest birthday milestones, biggest birthdays you remember even going back to childhood? Uh, first of all, happy birthday. Happy 39th. My son and I tripped over city slickers the other night and watched it. It's amazing how, because it's all premised on what Billy Crystal and his friends did the year that he turned 39. And his 39th birthday was like, the, the focal point of the, of the starting point of, of where the movie went. I remember how popular City Slickers was in the early 1990s. I remember how well it did. Jack Palance won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. It's amazing to me how, and I don't know what makes this happen. The passage of time is either very kind to a movie or very unkind to a movie. And for as popular as City Slickers was, it was a tough watch 30 years later. I don't know what I don't know what it was. The music at times, like a little hokey. Uh, it just wasn't like other movies you can watch from that time frame. And like Goodfellas, it's timeless. And and I'd love to really get into the nuts and bolts at some point of what makes a movie still look good, still have that sense that it really does hold up. That it's something you could watch decades from now, and it would still be. A great movie versus something that just feels old and cliched and dated. Anyway, um, I remember, God, it's been a long time now, 34 years later, I remember the toughest birthday for me. And, 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 and 40 didn't bother me. 50 didn't bother me. At this point, I'm just happy that I made it another year, folks. You know, once I read Tuesdays with Maury, my perspective on everything regarding the passage of time and aging, it all changed. And it makes sense. It's a beautiful, simple message. We all get our one shot. We all get our one trip. And we're all going to be at various points on it. Anytime somebody come, calls me old, my response is, if you're lucky, you will be one day too. Keep, keep living. Keep yourself alive. And maybe someday you'll get to be old and you'll get to tell to some, someone who's a lot younger than you, if you're lucky, you'll get to be older one of these days too. But 23 was the one that got me. Here's why. When you're a kid, you're always looking ahead, right? You want to be older because being older unlocks some, some new thing, right? 16, get to drive. Can't wait to be 16. I want to drive. Oh, I'm 16. I get to drive. 18, get to drink, at least back in those days. 18, you could go buy a beer. And in some establishments where I lived, you didn't have to be 18 to go get a beer. But uh, um, 18, get to vote. Don't get to sign up for the draft. Don't, don't like that. But hey, 18, 18's awesome. Then it's 21, 21, especially once they change the drinking age. 20, 21 means you can drink anywhere. You got grandfathered in in West Virginia because they changed the drinking age to 21 after I had turned 18. But hey, I could still, I made it. I got, I slid under the door and grabbed my hat before the, the law changed, but 21, you can drink anywhere. Once you get to 21, 21's kind of it. That's when you, you stop looking forward. There's no age after 21 that you look forward to. Like 16, 18, 21. That's great. Those are the, those are the three big ones. And once you get to 21, it's like, there's no more. 
There's no more, it's all downhill from here. And when I turned 22, it didn't dawn on me because you're still kind of 21. When I was 23, you're in that midpoint between 21 and 25, which is the midpoint between 20 and 30, which is the midpoint between zero and 60. There was just something about turning 23. It was that splash of water. Like, well, here we go. Here we go. Instead of trying to look forward now, it's going to be regretting all the things you could have done with the time you've already had. But anyway, happy birthday. And uh, just enjoy every day you have. Make the most out of every day that you have. That's really the key. Whatever it is that you do in life, do it to the fullest. Have no regrets. This is all stupid, cliched stuff, but it's cliche because it's true. Just live your life. Enjoy your life and be grateful for what you have. All right. BFTP and Posse, a football question. During the 2018 offseason, we thought the kickoff, which is the most dangerous play in the game, was dead. But four years later, it's still here. Although minimized, how and why is it still around when the most dangerous machine in a factory gets replaced? And I've, I said that before. When, when they came out and called the kickoff the most dangerous play in the game, the lawyer in me said, no, 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 no. You don't say that out loud. You don't say that out loud. At a time that the NFL had put behind itself the concussion litigation, you don't want to give somebody else a path to creating major liability. Now, ideally, you, you, you make the most dangerous play in the game less dangerous. But in the interim, you don't tell everybody about it. You put yourself in a position where you have to change it. What happened with the kickoff, though, was that they mobilized the special teams coordinators to come up with ways to make it safer. And they have made it safer to the point where they're focused on the punt play. And I wrote about this in the mailbag that we did last weekend. I don't know how you make the punt play safer. That's now the most dangerous play in the game. I don't know what you do. I don't, I don't know what you do. Because a punt play is a scrimmage play. So anything you would do to take out those high-speed collisions where one guy's going this way, one guy's going that way, they're going at full speed, they're able to run unimpeded long enough to get to full speed, and then as they collide, what do they do? Instinctively, you drop your head. And when you drop your head and you smack together, that's when you put maximum pressure in the cervical spine and you potentially end up with a serious outcome, not just a concussion, but a serious outcome. So how do you minimize that? On a kickoff play, it's one thing. On what fundamentally is a scrimmage play, if you do too much to take away the ability for two players to get up to full speed running at each other, you may make it a lot easier to run a fake punt, or you may make it a lot harder to run a fake punt. That's where unintended consequences need to be fully explored and understood before they make changes to the punt play. I mean, one thing you could just do is just give the ball to the other team 40 yards away. Unless you're on the other side of the 50, then you give it to them on the 20. I don't know. I mean, they were talking about taking away the kickoff altogether and just putting the ball at the 25. Would there be a way to just say it's fourth down, either go for it or the other team gets it 40 yards from where you are? Or, or, the punt play ends when the ball is caught, right? Or when it comes to rest. So you have an incentive to have someone back there to catch it so it doesn't bounce deeper into your own end and not go into the end zone. But then the problem is, what do the gunners do? See, that, that's where the unintended consequences come into play. And I know the question was about the kickoff, but the kickoff is settled. The punt is the one that's up in the air. If the guy who catches the punt's not going to try to return it, you don't need to send one guy out on each flank streaming down the field to try to get themselves in position to make the tackle or to force the guy to do a fair catch. So you, you keep those guys in, then you, then you minimize the chance of a block punt. Well, you still want to have a periodic block punt, don't you? So it's a challenge. Uh, but I think the kickoff has been made safe enough that they can live with it. The only problem is it's harder to recover onside kicks, although that has been improved somewhat in recent years. Um, the punt is the one that I think becomes the focus next. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Neil watches PFT. Would the NFL be breaking their antitrust exemption to sell streaming rights to different providers? Amazon gets NFC West and North. Apple gets NFC East and South. ESPN gets AFC East and South. Peacock gets AFC North and West. There's a real question as to whether or not the antitrust exemption even applies to streaming. And it may require interpretation. It may require at some point, you know, a legal challenge or a tweaking of the language of the broadcast What's that called? The Sports Broadcast Act of 1961, something like that. But anyway, there wouldn't be an issue with it. If streaming itself falls within the definition of what the league is exempt from when it comes to antitrust, it's no different than what the league does now. They carve up the TV rights to different companies. You could, you could, you could do mini Sunday tickets. You could. I don't know if the league wants that, but you could. You can have NFC package, AFC package. But the problem is if you're going to charge for it, it, it just gets complicated. And they like to do one price, all in, all or nothing. I, I wish that you could just get the rights for one team's games or one weekend, one game at a time. Charge accordingly. You get a deal for buying the whole season. If you want less than the whole season, it costs more. If you want only one team, it costs more. If you want only one week, it costs more. So they could do that. They could do that. I just don't think they would. Neil watches PFT. Jimmy G is going to make $8.9 million from the 49ers this year to be cut, and Sam Darnold is going to make $18 million from the Panthers to back up Baker Mayfield. Why don't the Panthers have more urgency in moving on from Darnold like the 49ers do with Jimmy G? Well, there's a factual error in the question. Jimmy G is not making anything once he's cut. Once he passes his physical, he's got no guarantee. He's got $7.5 million that is guaranteed right now for injury. Once he passes his physical, that guarantee is wiped out. The only way he gets the $7.5 million is if he can't play this year because of injury. And all indications are he's close to being ready to pass a physical. So that's the big difference between Darnold, Mayfield, Garoppolo. Garoppolo gets nothing if he's cut. And that's what makes it a little more risky for the 49ers to keep him around. Okay, they already want to move on from him because he's injury prone. You bring him to training camp as you perpetuate this ruse of, hey, we're going to keep him. Hey, we're going to keep him. Somebody better trade for him because we're going to keep him. And then he gets injured during camp and he's out for the year and you owe him $25 million. I don't know what they're going to do. They have completely mishandled the quarterback position over the past five years, in my opinion. They didn't look at Patrick Mahomes. They could have had him. They took Jimmy Garoppolo instead of waiting for Kirk Cousins, which Kyle Shanahan wanted to do. They said no to Tom Brady. And they freaked out last year and they gave up too much to move up to number three. And they took a guy that maybe... Shanahan didn't want. Of course, they're never going to admit that, but there are plenty of people who still believe Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. So it's just a weird situation. And I could see them, if they don't get what they want, and you look at what the Panthers gave up for Baker Mayfield, if you give up a 2024 fifth-round pick, it could become a fourth-round pick. The 49ers surely can't expect to get a lot more. Are they just going to keep him and pay him $25 million as the backup? When he's already said... He wouldn't wish last year's experience on anyone, and he doesn't want to be there. I guess if they're going to pay him $25 million, he'll, he'll deal with it. But what do you do about next year if you're the backup? And the risk that Jimmy Garoppolo takes is this. This is how he can get screwed. They go through training camp. They go through preseason. He's healthy. Trey Lance is a starter. They go to Jimmy Garoppolo late August, early September, and say, hey, Jimmy, Trey Lance is our starter. We'd love to keep you around as backup. We just can't pay you $25 million. We'll pay you ten. Oh, I don't want 10. I want 25. Well, sorry. It's 10 or we cut you. And if they cut him, what's he going to get anywhere else in September? That's why he needs to push this thing. 
I know there was a sense that Baker Mayfield was not going to let himself get screwed around by the Browns. Jimmy G needs to be ready to do that. And he said enough during the offseason to make me think that the 49ers are misreading the whole Jimmy's a nice guy, i.e. Jimmy will do whatever we want him to do. Even if we screw him, he'll, he'll, he'll just take it. He's a nice guy. Jimmy needs to stand up for himself. And Jimmy needs to insist this get done before camp open, whether he's traded, whether he's cut. The problem is nobody wants to take on $25 million. He's going to have to take less money. The 49ers are going to have to drop their expectations. And there's a way to do it, but it's going to require some people who have been stubborn, specifically the 49ers, to become less stubborn. Neil watches PFT, important question. How much does your schedule get shaken up when PFT Live and PFT PM are on hiatus? Um, I know you keep busy because of the kick to the rear from your Pee Wee football coach. What other projects are you working on? Look, um, not having to get up at 6, 6.30, 6.40, if I really want to push it for a 7 a.m. show has caught up to me. The first couple of weeks, I had things that otherwise required me to get up. This past week has been bad. This past week has been almost vampire hours. Up till three, up at nine, six hours of sleep, and just feeling kind of discombobulated. Yeah, I'm ready to get back to PFT Live. I'm ready to get back to the mode where I have to get up early. I've been staying up way too late, especially... And uh, I don't want to commit any HIPAA violations here, but my wife tested positive for COVID. We still don't know how she got it. So she's isolating. So there's no like, hey, it's bedtime. Like, hey, it's just the decision. It's time, you know, white husband and wife, hey, it's bedtime. I mean, usually you go to bed at the same time. So the person who falls asleep isn't, you know, forced awake whenever the other one decides to come to bed. That's usually how we do it. So that would be a way for me to otherwise stay on a somewhat normal human schedule. Now that now that isolation is happening, stay up as late as I want. So uh, yeah, I'm ready for July 25 to come around. Um, other projects. And look, I've, I've written about this before. I think I've tweeted about it. I may have talked about it. Obviously, you know, I wrote Playmakers during the past two years. It took about two months or so to write it all once we finally crafted the outline and sold it to Hachette and uh, started everything in motion. But this change to the day-to-day -day reality of the pandemic, and I don't go out to dinner, I really don't do anything, we don't have people over as often as we used to, although we, we have outside gatherings, it's just not like it used to be, and there's a lot of time you have to yourself, and you know, I spend so much time every day writing for PFT, thousands of words every day that just kind of evaporate into nothing. I got an idea a couple of years ago, I started writing a novel. And uh, those of you who may remember Quarterback of the Future, that was a failed endeavor from a long time ago that nevertheless was the first step that led me into this business. So you can blame that book for having to deal with me now. But I had an idea, wrote it up, wrote it fairly quickly, probably too quickly, because then I've gone back and I keep working it and working it and working it. That's kind of my method. It all flows out pretty quickly. And then you have to go back and you work it and you button it up. And anyway, one became two, became three, became four, became five. And now number six is almost done. And I still don't know what I'm going to do with them. I, I just, I don't know. I learned a lot about the publishing industry through Playmakers, and frankly, no disrespect to the folks who, who published Playmakers, but I got a feeling I can make more money if I just sell directly, because I have a feeling how many of the sales came from my efforts to market versus how many came just kind of organically. And we have the platform, we've got the pipeline via the website, and the Twitter account and the website. I mean, we're, we're, our traffic keeps going up and up relative to prior years. I mean, it, it dips in June and July, obviously, but relative to prior years, we, we continue to hold our own. There's a lot of people that come to the website. And yeah, I've even thought, I mean, to, to, to be completely transparent and bore you even more than I already am, I actually thought about, and still I'm thinking about, kind of serializing one of them. I got one in mind where we just post a chapter a day 60 days, how many chapters are in it? 60 to 80 chapters, just post one a day and just, just give it away and then make the full thing available anytime anybody would want to, you know, read more than one a day. But I thought about that, did some research on how the Martian got off the ground. Um, God posted one chapter a day to his blog. 
and uh, people liked it. So thinking about different paths for getting the content to you while I keep churning out more and more of it. And, and I'd like to think that it's not complete and total crap. I'd like to think that. I'd, I'd hate to think that I just keep doing it and it's bad. Like, isn't that depressing? Like if there's something you're really, really bad at, but you like, and you just keep doing it, even though you're bad at it, well, that explains about 90% of the people who play golf. So maybe it's not that surprising. Anyway, uh, Neil watches PFT. If the Lions had made more of a public sale of Matthew Stafford instead of working behind the scenes with Les Snead, could they have gotten more? They possibly could have gotten more for Matthew Stafford, but it was an inside job. I mean, I don't want to piss anybody off any more than I otherwise do, but it's obvious that Brad Holmes, who became the GM of the Lions after working for the Rams, certain amount of loyalty and gratitude to the Rams for helping him get this job, and they have a mutual problem. Matthew Stafford wants to move on. The Rams can't wait to get rid of Jared Goff. The Rams don't want to give up a first-round pick to get someone to take Jared Goff's contract and have it be obvious that it's a Brock Osweiler situation. So they tuck Jared Goff into the Matthew Stafford trade and the Rams give up two ones and a three. And as one GM said to me at the time the trade happened, it's a one and a three for Stafford and it's a one to get Jared Goff off the Rams books. It worked out perfectly. And it was all done in kind of a closed shop. Washington GM, um, God, why am I blanking on? Martin Mayhew, I was blanking on his name, Martin Mayhew. He said earlier this year, you know, they, they did the deal for Matthew Stafford and we didn't even know. That's why they called every team this year. People clowned the commanders for calling every team to see if their starter was available. Oh, hey, you called Patrick Mahomes. You called the Chiefs about Patrick Mahomes. Hey, look, the best way to make sure you haven't left a stone unturned is to leave no stone unturned. Last year, they were frozen out of a chance to get Matthew Stafford. This year, they weren't getting frozen out of anything. Every team, is your quarterback available? Yes or no? So... Uh, yeah, I think the Lions probably could have gotten more for Stafford. Assuming they didn't want Goff. I really don't know how they feel about Goff. Is Goff just the guy who's getting them through the first two years of the latest reboot? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think Goff's going to be the quarterback next year. And I think they should have gone after Baker Mayfield. And frankly, I think they should go after Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, I'm looking at some of these. I should probably wrap it up. Eric and Teddy, our good friend Pauline, any good books on your summer reading list you would recommend? Nothing depressing, please. What I've been trying to do lately, because I've, I've gotten so accustomed to reading on the, the cell phone device, and I prefer it. It's harder to read a book than it is to read it on your phone. It's lit up, it's bright, you can take it anywhere. It's simple, you lay in bed and read, you don't need to turn a light on, don't have to wake anybody up. So um, anyway, I try to read one on my phone and one uh, a hard copy, summertime. I'm finishing up, leave the gun, take the cannoli, the inside story, the making of the Godfather. Awesome, excellent, highly, highly recommended. If you like the Godfather and you want to know more about how it all came to be and you're fascinated by that, very, very good. I uh, reread All the Light We Cannot See and I'd completely forgotten it. I read it five or six years ago and I completely forgot it other than there's a blind girl. That's all I remembered. Everything else I forgot. So it was like, you know, like you go back and watch a movie, you remember it. You go back and read a book sometimes it really is a new experience all over again. It makes me wonder how many books I have that I should go back and reread. And I probably will reread The Godfather after I finish Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli. Um, I've got a Dean Martin biography that was recommended to me. But I'd be, just because I've got a fascination with Dean Martin, he grew up not far from where I'm from. And my dad was a huge, huge, huge Dean Martin fan. So that one's hard copy and that one's yay thick. So that's probably going to carry me through the rest of the summer. Um, and uh, like, like I said, I may go back and read The Godfather again. It's hard to find, you know, because once I start a book, I hate to just bail on it. So what happens is I get caught up in a book I really don't want to read and I slow down and it keeps me from getting to the next book I want to read, but I'm too stubborn to just say, I'm done with this book. Like I'll do it with a movie. I'll start watching a movie and you know, you get about 10, 20 minutes in. It's like, I'm out. 
if I get more than a few pages into a book, I feel compelled to finish it. So um, that's just part of the screwed up wiring that I carry around every day. Let's see what else we have. Neil watches PFT. When Miles Simmons was in town, did you finally get him a real mic and camera? Why, I, I, his setup is fine. It's the way we do things nowadays. Not everybody needs to have the, the full-blown studio setup. People do Zoom all the time. Turn on any cable channel. People are Zooming in and out and place to place. And I, I think his setup's fine. I think Shireen's setup's fine. What else do we have? I'm scrolling through here looking for something good. Here's one. With Baker Mayfield and the Panthers playing the Browns week one, who do you think wins? Let's assume Watson is out since no suspension seems unlikely. I mean, look, I, hey, I would say the Panthers will probably win that game if the Browns don't have Deshaun Watson. And Baker Mayfield is highly motivated to stick it to the Browns. Now, the Browns know Baker Mayfield, and they can plan accordingly, but you got Christian McCaffrey healthy. But the Panthers are always better earlier in the year than later in the year past two years, Christian McCaffrey's got himself banged up and that changes the team. I, I would think that game's in Carolina. A lot can change between now and then, but I, I think the, the Panthers end up winning that game. And I think Baker Mayfield takes a tremendous amount of glee. And, you know, a lot of that motivation, even though it's coming from kind of a negative mindset and the dysfunction that existed. And even though Mayfield probably bears some of the blame for it, I, I think he turns that into a positive. One more. One more. Let's do, let's do one more, maybe two. Mama Bear down. Which non? No, no, no. Would the quarterbacks trade Jimmy G to the Seahawks? Or do you think they would be scared of losing to him twice in 2022? I think it's more complicated than that. First of all, did the Seahawks won. I mean, the Seahawks really didn't create any clear sense they wanted Baker Mayfield. And they, by all appearances, didn't make a serious play for him. Now Jimmy G, he's the next man up. I... Is he better than Geno Smith or Drew Locke? And, and look, the idea that the 49ers wouldn't trade him in the division, we saw the Patriots do it with Drew Bledsoe, traded him to the Bills in 2002. We saw the Washington football team take on Donovan McNabb from the Eagles in 2010. That still had a Trojan horse kind of a feel to it, that the Eagles knew it was exactly the right time to unload Donovan McNabb. Oh, and it was. I don't know. I just think the 49ers are going to be way too stubborn and want way too much. And the Seahawks would never give them what they want. I think the Seahawks would be an option if he's cut, but not via trade. And I think that the 49ers would be inclined to take nothing to trade him to a team like the Texans, if the Texans want him, then cut him and worry about him landing with the Seattle Seahawks. All right. I saw one more that caught my eye. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, and this is from Mama Bear down again, for sure you have seen the pictures of the Aaron Rodgers tattoo. Any thoughts? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I have some thoughts. I, 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 I haven't researched what it is, what it's supposed to be. I don't understand it. I wonder whether he even understands it. D didn't he say that like he had an, an Ayn Rand book on the shelf when he appeared on the Manning cast this year and he just kind of did it just to troll people. Like, would you get a tattoo to just troll people? Would, are you really that committed to trolling people that you would put permanent ink on your flesh, on your forearm, just to mess with people when you don't really know what it means. You just want to add to the beautiful mystery that is your public life. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's not even a permanent tattoo. Maybe it's going to wear off in a few weeks. It looks very intricate. It looks very well done, very ornate. I mean, when you're making 50 million bucks a year, presumably you can afford the best that the tattoo industry has to offer. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And hey, I'm not anti-tattoo. I've thought about it. But you better be damn sure. You know, and, and I'm probably stealing somebody's bit here. I've probably heard a comedian say this before, but it spoke to me and it makes a lot of sense. Like, when you get a tattoo, that's like wearing the same shirt every day for the rest of your life. You better like that shirt. I mean, you better be committed to that shirt. Because, you know, if it's visible, you're wearing that shirt every day for the rest of your life or until you get the thing removed, which I don't think it's nearly as simple a process they make it out to be, especially if it's a very ornate multicolored tattoo. So before you do it, you better be damn sure 
that you're ready to wear that shirt or those pants or that necklace or that thing on your face every day for the rest of your life. Let's call it there. Thanks as always for some of your time. Obviously no PFTOT over the weekend, but plenty of content at profootballtalk.com as we get closer and closer to the opening of camps and closer and closer to the return of PFT Live. Just 17 days away. Three days from now, another edition of PFTOT. Unless absolutely nothing happens this weekend and I'm not in the mood to do this on Monday. That's the only caveat. But let's plan on reconvening Monday. Have a great and safe weekend and we'll see you back Dietz & Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz & Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.